everybody. Sorry about that. Um, I finally managed to pull myself together enough to crawl out of the blanket fort that I made for myself post-election and rejoin society. Um, plus, Rob told me the checks would stop coming if I didn't record a podcast again, so, um, hi! Welcome to episode 24 of Radio Podcast. Although you never actually showed me the results of the paternity test. Look, Rob, I half-named the podcast after you. It's yours. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> congrats to me. Uh, with that... <laughs> Mazel tov! <laughs> I hear that word. I don't know what it means. No. Um, uh, so... <laughs> Listeners will have not heard the audio shrug that I just gave. <laughs> How about we try and do some sort of year-end wrap-up kind of thing? There is too much. We have to sum up. Hmm. Apersu. Apersu. That sounds delicious. You didn't read the dialogue, did you? I, I did. I thought I would... Riff. <laughs> Pursue sounds like I didn't know how you were gonna actually pronounce it. It sounds like soup. I want soup. <laughs> no, still not going with my written All right, carry on. <laughs> I didn't know what the word meant until I saw it in a crossword my mother-in-law was doing. Of course, <laughs> you see, Mr. Frenchy Pants. Oh, you were freezing up. Are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Okay, there we go. Okay. It's sort of, oh, I saw you freeze as well as you went, he's free! <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're having mild audio tech issues where Skype on my end is being a bit of a... Bitch? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking of things being a bit of a bitch... Flint update. <laughs> All right. First off, um, I've still been following this house at 346 East Mott Avenue, Flint, Michigan, 48505. And it's still available uh, seemingly for the $2,799 that it was listed at before. So <laughs> if you want a shell of a house, this one's for you. Rob, if you move into that... You will be single. Well, if, yeah, well, I, I crossed that one off the list of possible upgrades for the Radio Podcast Studio. I did discover a new one that's come onto the market. Um, yeah. At, at 5,318 Glen Avenue, that's on the market for $950. Um, my guess is not, that you'll need... Not 950000 This is like... No. No, 950. My guess is that you need to probably provide all internal structure. <laughs> Definitely all the piping, I guarantee. <laughs> every every ounce of copper has been stripped. Yeah. Uh, on the website, there are no pictures of the inside um, and only two of the outside. One that shows a overgrown driveway towards what must have been at one point a garage for... Something about the size of a Model T, possibly. Oof. That one's available. Well, uh, so so I'm back to the idea of a mobile recording facility, and uh, 
I found this beautiful old small van with purple velour interior. Hot. <laughs> All right, I'll go with that then. It's the kind of van I'm supposed to tell my kids to stay away from. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Free puppies and candy inside. <laughs> well, let's cleanse our palates. Ugh. Uh, yeah, we should. Um, after a story like, well, after looking at those houses, even Flint's water will cleanse the palate. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with the civil side of the story. There's a civil side? Uh, civil as in construction. It's now estimated that the new water line that needs to be run, um, it's got to go to 29,000 homes. I think, believe the original estimate was around 15,000 homes. Yeah. Yeah, the um, <laughs> Mayor Karen Weaver's Fast Start team estimates that they'll have a, about 1,000 done by the end of this year. Yeah, it's um, this quote-unquote Fast Start program is the one that, uh, I guess, Snyder approved... Back in, gosh, what was it, February, March, for mm. what, so, what he was going to do to help mitigate the problems? Wait a minute. Fast start. Super and it's fast. From March, and they've got about, oh, well, <laughs> when I started putting notes together on this a few weeks ago, it was 500 that had been done, and they reckon they might have 1,000 done by the end of the year. It's really um, fast. Oh, for Snyder, it's lightning quick. It moves about as fast as his intellect. Ugh. Well, another estimate on the budget is that it uh, currently scales to $140 million. Is that all? That's it. That's uh -huh. it. And that's, again, just for the uh, waterline replacements. It has nothing to do with anything else that they've been doing out there. Including, apparently, a whole bunch of litigation. <laughs> Litigation news. <laughs> well, speaking of civil, we're going to deal with the other type of civil, as in court. Nice segue. I'm a goddamn professional. <laughs> there have been four more. <laughs> can I talk? Oh, can you ever? Uh -huh. Please. <laughs> We've got four more people criminally charged in this uh, current situation, including two former Flint emergency managers. And now, you've got some really detailed notes on this, and I think it's beholden on you that you... Uh, all right, so Diana tried to explain this to me as we were going through the, the pace notes for the show ahead of time. And this is a shell game that you are going to want to grip something and try and keep your head from spinning because it's magical so <laughs> all of my information is coming from the detroit free press again the most amazing coverage of what's been going on out there very detailed just fantastic um okay so way 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 back in 2014 the heady days of 2014 such an innocent time yeah flint's fucked they have no money whatsoever the city of Flint is buying their water from the city of Detroit. And that's what they've been doing for years. Now, what they want to do is get in on this new pipeline, water pipeline that's being constructed. I'm going to butcher this. The Karen Nodi Water Authority, KWA. 
the KWA. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> it's what I'm here for. <laughs> so the KWA wants to build a new pipeline that will go to Lake Huron. But Flint is responsible for 35% of the debt that's related to the KWA project. Since they are completely tapped out on funds, the Department of Environmental Quality and the city strike a quote-unquote sweetheart deal where the Department of Environmental Quality, DEQ, will basically issue the construction bonds for Flint's portion of the pipeline without any financial backing from the city. There's nothing to back up these bonds. This sounds more like a Trump project. It's amazing. The city of Flint now says to the city of Detroit, hey, we are building this pipeline. We don't need to pay you for water anymore because we're going to build a temporary line to the Flint River while we're waiting for this KWA project to finish up. So that is why they went over to the Flint River. So that way they could stop paying D Detroit while they've, they've got these basically paper bonds going to the KWA project that they're not really on the hook for because DEQ kind of greenlit it without any financial backing from the city, any real world financial backing from the city, I should say. They just decided, all right, perfect, Flint River. It's right there. We'll just start sucking the water while we wait for this pipeline to get finished. So the city manager that kind of helped facilitate all of that uh, is one of the people who uh, was indicted and um, arraigned. He was arraigned uh, the 21st of December. The charges, they all face 20-year felony charges on what's going on out there. And the magical part of all of this is that we don't need to put allegedly in front of any of it. No, no. So the people who are being charged are two emergency managers of Flint, the ex-public works superintendent, and the utilities administrator. So basically all people who should know better. <laughs> They're facing charges of false pretenses, which I didn't know was a charge, but... Just false pretenses and conspiracy to commit false pretenses. Is is false pretenses sort of like lying? I don't know. So then, in addition, the former emergency managers were charged with willful neglect of duty and misconduct in office. <clears throat> Those are words we're going to hear a lot more over the next few years. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> So that's kind of what's going on with the charges that are been brought forward in Flint. One interesting thing that I, I guess, kind of gets into the weeds, but this whole concept of uh, emergency managers and the way it works in Michigan, like anytime any big public institution is going through some significant uh, financial problems, they have state, um, they have these emergency managers that can be put in place by the governor. And I did a little bit of digging. I found a really, really great article that uh, Michigan Radio put together that I'm going to include in our show notes on our, our website, which is www.radio-podcast.net. If you guys want to do a little bit of extra reading to figure out you know, what, what this whole emergency manager thing is about, it's shady as fuck. <laughs> and that's the most generous explanation she yeah. was able to come up with. It, 
<laughs> it's amazing. So um, if you guys are interested, it's well worth the read. So yeah, so that's that's where we're at with that. <laughs> now, on the plus side, there's now so much lead in the kids' bloods in Flint that they don't need to buy pencils for school anymore. <laughs> Uh, ugh. Let's see, our next update that has to do with courts in Flint. There's still more more Flint stuff? There is oh more God. Flint stuff. Um, How can there be? I thought we were done with this. I, I hope we'd be done with this story months ago. But no, it just, Rob, nobody in Flint... No, nobody nobody uh, has clean water in Flint yet. Like, this is, this is going to be tripping out for a while. I'm going to move on to... Um, our our disease center. <laughs> there have been a, a bunch of outbreaks. The radio, the radio podcast fridge, as it's also known. I'm well. Yeah, I'm gonna go into quarantine, audio quarantine over here, and uh, <laughs> talk to you guys about uh, the Legionnaires' disease outbreak that happened back in August of this past year, um, and. We reported to you guys that uh, the Genesee County Hospital, where these people were going to get help for their Legionnaire's disease, couldn't share any information about where these infected people were potentially contracting the disease, just due to a confidential court order that was blocking any mention of waterborne disease coming from the Flint area from going to the Department of Health and Human Services because they were basically afraid of any litigious action that could happen and they didn't want dissemination of information. We covered that in a previous episode where you explained some of the background behind that. It just seems like a um, complete anathema that you, that anybody could in their right mind put a blanket ban on the sharing of information. Even with a public, I mean, this is a public health concern that they were stopping yeah. this from happening. So... We've had a Christmas miracle. <laughs> On December 20th, three protective orders that were limiting the flow of information to the Department of Health and Human Services were lifted, allowing the state agency to get the information that they need to prevent any further outbreaks and help remediate any future ones. The protective orders were found to be unconstitutional, violating the state's separation of powers between executive and legal authorities. So that's some a little bit of more good news. I mean, there's a, we're going to be dealing with Michigan courts, covering Michigan courts, I guess, for a while. I've got no idea what it must be like to try and live through that. Somebody on the visual essay that the Detroit Free Press has put together describes it as like, living in a war zone but without the actual violence and there's that constant constant feeling of being under attack yeah i mean we reported a couple weeks ago about people are being diagnosed with ptsd living in flint this is not something that's easy to live with or or i mean i would think it's even manageable it's 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 not something you would have to should have to live with in a first world country yeah this is I, I moved to America about 20 years ago, and some things have improved, and some things are markedly worse. And there seems to be this factioning of responsibility, and nobody wants to take it, and nobody wants to pay for it. And even the people who should be sorting this out and coming up with sensible policies towards doing so seem to be so deeply invested in this blind mindset of what is their philosophy in terms of politics 
all allowed themselves to play politics so much that a rational view of the world has not played any impact in their thinking for such a long time that the image that comes to mind is Nero fiddling while Rome burns, which, according to the reports, the time was a little unfair on Nero, but you know, the, it's the same sort of thing that the there are these crises going on, but there are people with vested political or fiscal interests in not resolving the problem. Yeah. One group that is just a short hop, skip and a jump from Flint is in, uh, uh, how do you pronounce that? Osceola, O-S-C-E-O-L-A, Osceola County. Yeah, that's what I would guess. <laughs> Where Nestle, or rather Nestle Waters North America, want to increase the amount of groundwater ex that they're extracting from the area to half a million gallons per day. For bottling. For bottling and selling yeah. all, all over the place. It's not to help give to people. This is... Nestle has never done anything for the, out of the goodness of their heart. Their CEO made the amazing statement that that clean drinking water is not a human right. Mm. And uh, he's acting on it. So there are... Is he been suggested for Trump's cabinet at any place? or? Uh... Uh, he would probably be the one providing the bottled okay. water. All right. That sounds about right. Yeah, so he's doing mm. catering. The Department of Environmental Quality is taking public comments through until March 3rd of 2017. We'll put a couple of links up to that. You can email Carrie... Uh, monosmith at deq-eh at michigan.gov uh, or send them email and we'll put the those in the show notes so that if you feel that perhaps nestle shouldn't be dragging quite so much water from the ground at pennies on the gallon when they then <laughs> charge an arm and a leg per mm. bottle and that their ceo thinks that everybody should be paying through the nose for his high quality water that you've paid for to keep clean so <laughs> whatever well we we've just heard what a upstanding and not corrupt government body the deq is so good luck with your comments and uh <laughs> everything will be filed directly to the circular bin <laughs> yeah you want fun with email servers wait until they try and recover all of those <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Flint, we we hear you. We're trying to bring light to your plight, and um, we'll be here in 2017. Oh, for that's a bringing light to your plight. Where did you I'm get that from? I'm a fucking poet, at... and I know it, Rob. <laughs> You're going to be spraying that as your tag on the walls, aren't you? <laughs> Probably just inside your bedroom because you know those are your walls, and you can do Look, what you like. But... I, I'm not even going to show you the tattoo I've gotten in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> the one that says fuck you 2016 uh, it's just a dumpster fire <laughs> all right well let's move on to our, our second news update uh of the night and uh then we'll let these fine people finish their new year with uh without us buzzing in their ear oh we also have the interview at the end of the of show as well we so do. we'll yes He's sitting here very patiently waiting. <laughs> All right. So, moving on. HB2. Bathroom bullshit. 
So there was a time for a fleeting moment in North Carolina politics this autumn, after the megalomaniac lame duck governor Pat McCrory finally admitted defeat, then stripped some significant gubernatorial powers from the position of being governor in an attempt to screw the incoming Democratic successor, that we thought that there would be a glimmer of hope and rationality from this little state. Uh, to which I might add, <laughs> <laughs> trimmed for length. <laughs> there were rumors that the controversial HB2 law, otherwise known... Now, this uh, just, to, just to point out, this has nothing to do with pencils. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. Okay, thank you. All right. It's colloquially known as the bathroom bill. There are rumors that they were going to be repealing it. This law has actually had some pretty significant financial repercussions to the state of North Carolina. Current estimates put the financial burden at about $150 million over the last nine months, with the NBA, the NCAA, and multiple artists canceling planned events in the state, as well as PayPal halting plans to expand into the state, creating about 400 jobs. And we had a, a guest on earlier this year who uh, helped explain the significance of some of those players. Yes, thank you, Tommy. Yes. So this was just a generally terrible bill. A lot of North Carolinians also did not like it. It's extremely unpopular in the state. Not only for the money it's costing them, but also for the... The stigma. How shitty yeah. it is. Yeah, to to a group of people. We thought we'd moved past that, but apparently the GOP wants to drag us kicking and screaming back down into the well it's not even the middle ages anymore I mean, it's further back than that i mean knuckle dragging troglodytian lifestyle of living in caves and grunting and wiping your ass on a leaf but back you know. when america was great <laughs> so so the outgoing governor uh called a special se session this week with the express purpose to repeal this law and it seemed like reason was going to break out in Raleigh. There was some pretty good bipartisan support for the repeal. You know, things were looking generally positive. But. But. So this past week, we're, we're recording the, the week before Christmas of 2016. And I will also add at this point that Diana has tried to explain this to me. I have read the notes and my head starts to spin halfway through. So my suggestion is buckle up. Listen tight. Get a whiteboard, maybe? Would that be helpful? We, we can draw diagrams. I'll talk them through. Yeah, given the state of that party, a whiteboard is the only one they would have <laughs> The problem is the white marker on the whiteboard makes it hard to see. As so we've noticed. <laughs> this whole HB2 law originated from the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, assigning into, uh, into effect a, a city ordinance where they wouldn't discriminate against people from going into the bathroom that is assigned the gender of which they identify. There were some other, you know, just broad, general anti-discrimination provisions. Things that you would expect in this day and age to be kind of common sense. The statewide GOP decided that the city of Charlotte was overstepping its bounds. They sold this whole HB2 law under the pretense of protecting the women and children from men dressed in drag, busting into little girls' restrooms and molesting them. 
And there are already laws that do that. Right. And it's goddamn ridiculous. So, you know, we've we've covered this when when the law was passed back in March about just how stupid this whole thing is. So Charlotte seems to be the bug in their craw. With all the conversations that have been going on with this law potentially being repealed, Charlotte City Council met on Monday and they passed a law Monday night that basically rescinded all of the ordinances that they had put in place before HB2 stripped them of the right to pass their own anti-discrimination laws. But this new ordinance that was passed on Monday night was contingent on HB2 being repealed. So if HB2 wasn't repealed, then all of those anti-discrimination protections that they had approved earlier in the year would remain in place. The one thing that they left in the bill that they didn't touch whatsoever was that the city of Charlotte would refuse to do work with contractors and subcontractors that discriminated based on gender, religion, or sexual orientation. Because again, apparently the city of Charlotte has ethics. (laughs) But... I knew there was another but coming. (laughs) This was apparently forbidden. The state GOP leaders saw this as an act of treason. Uh, it, it, It was like they hadn't done anything. So in an effort to keep this HB2 repeal moving forward, the city council met again Wednesday morning removed the the non-discrimination requirement from the subcontractors clause and they also removed the condition that all of the other anti-discrimination protections be contingent on the HB2's repeal which means basically they just scrapped all of their anti-discrimination ordinances for the city just done totally gone um And again, they had kind of been talking to the state, you know, state house um, and the state GOP and were under the assumption and the impression that HB2 was going to be repealed. So fine, they they felt comfortable doing this ordinance. But apparently the state GOP um, felt like the damage was done, that the city of Charlotte had broken their confidence. And Wednesday afternoon, lawmakers added language to the HB2 repeal bill that said that they weren't going to repeal HB2 outright. They were just going to place a six-month cooling down period, um, like a moratorium on enforcement of the bill but the bill would still be law. So basically they're just say, all right, we're going to ignore this law that we have on the books for six months with the option to extend it indefinitely, but we're not repealing it. State Democrats called out the Republicans for altering the terms of this deal that they had worked out ahead of time. And all the Democrats voted against this version of the repeal bill. So the repeal bill is dead. And now all of the state Republicans 
can and are saying, Oh, the Democrats are the ones who voted against repealing HB2. This has nothing to do with us. This is not our fault at all. Look at them. They're the ones that voted no. And the city of Charlotte is fucked because they got rid of all of their anti-discrimination ordinances based on this deal that they had struck with the state Republicans, assuming that they would hold up their end of the deal. Happy motherfucking 2016. Are we going to publish a Cliff Notes version of this? Because um, there are enough shells in this shell game to fill a, a, a box of a dozen eggs. <sighs> to fill a pipeline in Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> with raw oh. untreated bullshit and GOP we look at you as the sourest bunch of motherfucking assholes it's ever been our displeasure to have to read hear or think about get beyond your moronic myopia as I was reading the articles kind of explaining what is going on in, in, in bits and pieces I there's so much head shaking going on. Just what? Like so thin skinned. I mean, they were clearly only looking for an excuse to not repeal this law. When I first heard that they were going to repeal the law, I went, okay, we're at a point right now where McCrory has received so much bad press for, and for those of you who, who, don't know this nice little tidbit the election in north carolina was called on november 9th that the democratic candidate who i believe is the state's attorney general right now um had won the governorship that's that's what it was called but mccrory refused to concede he called for recounts he called for you know, just just would not concede and didn't. I guess they did a couple of recounts and the numbers just, um, you know, rather than the numbers getting closer, they actually went further apart where where the challenger um, won by a larger margin. And again, I, I think it was maybe only a week or two ago that he finally conceded to this election, which was then immediately, what, maybe 48 hours later, uh, followed up by this lawsuit where he was, or, that wasn't even a lawsuit. He, he just used his, he used his gubernatorial powers to strip out his successor's gubernatorial power powers. So, you know, all of this is going on in addition to the state losing all of this money under, you know, his legacy, so to speak. And I guess he wanted to do something to kind of polish the turd at the end. And, and here we are, turding up the turd. Seems like uh, McCrory's like more of an asshole than Cartman from South Park would be as governor of North There's Carolina. all kinds of stuff. I, I There's environmental shit that I can't even, like, from a couple years ago, I guess maybe three years back, there's all kinds of environmental stuff where he was um, he was either still on or formally on the board for Duke Energy, and they had something like three or four coal ash 
landfill sites that were not properly being uh, remediated. So there was just all of this highly toxic um, coal ash, which is the byproduct from burning coal in power plants, it's laden with tons of heavy metals. Typically what's done with it is it's buried. You know, they'll take an old sand and gravel mining pit and when they're done mining it, they'll backfill it with this coal ash. And this stuff, you know, when it rains on it, it, it just leaches down into the groundwater and it brings all the heavy metals and toxins with it. Why don't they put it back down in the mines? Cause... Well, nowadays, the, the, the way they mine is by blowing the top off of a mountain and just excavating it flat. Right. It's, it's, it's clean coal, people. So a lot of these places have the power plants very close to streams and rivers and lakes because they used to suck the water out of the river to use it as coolant, and then they would dump it in downstream. So now all this coal ash, I think there was, I want to say there was at least two pretty significant um, ash spills where like the remediation system just failed and all of this coal ash went out into the streams and people were like looking out in their backyards in this previously clear creek and it's just mucky and disgusting and um when they started looking into it a lot of it was he, he never required uh again this is governor mccrory never um kind of told his buddies at the department of the environment to to let things go or to make it easier to have inspections for these guys because he used to serve on the board for Duke Energy. It, there's been a lot of shenanigans in North Carolina politics for a while and um, it, it all kind of points back to Pat McCrory just being a terrible human being. And that's the nicest terms you can put it in. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> so apparently we're back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, since neither of us are stuck living in North Carolina, and for those of you who are, I'm very sorry. Let's let's talk about something that's that's a little bit less confusing. How about we move from uh, all of the shit that's going on to somebody pimping their shit? <gasps> Ooh, you are good with transitions. <laughs> I've had a little while to practice this one. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's go pimp some shit. Sounds like a plan. Our guest this week is the self-published author who occupies his spare time with a desk job. And he's published four books over the past six years or so. Kissing Oblivion. Unmagnificent Lives, Who's Afraid of the Virgin Wolves, and most recently, Wolfish Girl. Andy, welcome to the radio podcast. Thank you for having me, Robert and Diana. Short time listener. <laughs> First time interviewee. First time interviewee, yes. <laughs> I'll edit out. <laughs> you only have to remember your own lines, not oh, geez. not the stuff I write for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're off to a great start, aren't we? Uh, oh, Peachy, you're, you're fitting right in with the general uh, <laughs> the general feel of the show. It's a little rough. It's a little unready. And what we wrote never quite makes it to air. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so four books that you've published in, I, I said about six years. Not bad going while holding down a, a regular paying job. Yes. Yeah, it's a tough balance for sure, especially having a family and working a full-time job, trying to uh, pursue a passion in the interim. Making time for everything is, is tough. Do you write in bursts when the inspiration takes, or do you try and commit like an hour a night? Well, what I've normally done, the last the last uh, few I've, I've done during National Novel Writing Month. Oh, NaNoWriMo? NaNoWriMo, you're right, in the uh, the month of November. Mm-hmm. So what I've done, and this was on the advice of, of a colleague, actually, initially. I, it, it was something I wasn't familiar with at all. And he suggested that, uh, that I give it a shot, as I'd been blogging for quite a bit on a regular basis. And he said, uh, you might want to try National Novel Writing Month. It's something I think you might be able to be successful at. I looked into it and he, and he gave me some suggestions and tips as far as stru- how to structure your, your, the time that you write and how to get the most out of it. And uh, the first time I tried it, I was successful at it and I ended up with something I was really proud of. And then I spent uh, about a year editing what I'd had and was eventually able to to put it out as, and that was on Magnificent Lives. And then the times I've, I've subsequently attempted National Novel Writing Month, I've sometimes been successful in completing it and coming out with something that, that again, I've, I've been proud of, and then been able to edit it and shape it into to something that uh, I'd wanted to to eventually put to market. Do you go back and reread it with the intention of trying to read it to find, see if you found it as pleasurable as a reader as you did as an author? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I don't, I don't think, you know, like I said, there's been times I've, I've tried to, to write things and I've abandoned, um, I've abandoned the project entirely because I wasn't into it or I wasn't passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But m- more often than not, I, I think what happens is, uh, and, and, and I've learned through doing this over the past few years is that I just go into it with a plan and I, I, I work it out on a day-to-day basis uh, through the month of November. Um, making sure I know where the plot's going and, and uh, which uh, where I'm taking the characters and ultimately bringing it to a satisfying conclusion. Do you find that you can work to that plan, or does parts of the story take you in areas that you'd not expected? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll get into areas where I, where I, I think this is what you mean. I'll, I'll have a plan and uh, I'll map it out, but um, I'll be struck by something completely different and mm-hmm. and take the story in a completely other direction on, on a whim for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and I think especially in, even in the even in the editing process, there's huge chunks of dialogue that I've I've had to remove over you know in time or replace or even um and and I'll say this on the last one the ending was was probably the trickiest part for me I didn't I'd had an ending uh, initially that I I was not happy with and but I didn't know how else to conclude the story. Because it's not like the it's not like the Muppet Show where you can end it by simply blowing something up. That's right. <laughs> if it were only that easy, right? You were going on to make a point. Yeah, I, I guess I was just trying to to say that uh, whenever I come up with a, a manuscript initially, uh, yeah, it's the, there's so much left up uh, open to change, and I, I spend the better part of a year editing, whereas I'm only, you know, punching it out in in about a month's time. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to hit the 50,000 word mark or word goal mm-hmm. for National Novel Writing Month by Thanksgiving. So I, I, I write 2,000 words a night 
uh, oftentimes I, I go over um, before then. Sometimes I'll, I'll go over after then. But but my books are all relatively short. They're between 150, 160 pages. So what you know, usually I'll I'll edit things back to to roughly around the 50,000 word mark. Uh, so it qualifies as a novel at least. And um, I, I would I would definitely if I had had more time to write longer books and uh, God willing once I you know am done uh, where I'm at as far as a full time job. I'll have more time to to do that and maybe put something together that's much longer and much more involved. Is there a fifth on the way? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, well, since we're here, we are at December, and and I was able to to successfully complete National Novel Writing Month during the month of November. Whether or not I'll have something come the fall of 2017 that I'm happy enough with and passionate enough about to bring to market is another question. But I did lay out a, a map and a plan for a work, and again was successful in at least creating an arc for the story. Story. And uh, not to, without giving too much away, I'll just say it's about criminals. And I've always had kind of a, an interest in criminal families. Jim Thompson wrote After Dark, My Sweet, uh, which is was the book that kind of got me hooked. And then I, I went on to read four other uh, four other of his novels, and I thought, well, this is this is really great stuff. And it's it's interesting. It always obviously deals with um, criminals or the criminal element, and basically people trying to work together to to rip somebody off and uh obviously um one person betrays another and the whole thing falls apart and uh it's to me that that was interesting and i i, I kind of wanted to try my hand at, at a similar type story so it's a political novel yeah, <laughs> yeah i suppose right <laughs> somebody's ripping somebody off of course yeah <laughs> hey it's what this show's about right right <laughs> we'll make a political point sooner or later yeah it's gonna it's going to have happened uh, and it's been a lot of fun having you on the show i really appreciate you taking the time to come and uh, talk to us when you should be editing revising and whatevering the, the next novel yeah we appreciate hearing about it it's fascinating to learn how much hidden talent is really out there around us and among us Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, uh, Robert and Diana. I wanted to say, uh, if you, you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Andy Mascola. Uh, my books can be found at Amazon. And we'll post a link to that on the show notes. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Actually, uh, through the Facebook fan page as well, we can drop a link in there so that people who find us through Facebook can find that there. Excellent. Thank you so much. I, I absolutely appreciate the time that, that you took with me. And, uh, for having an interest at all. It's our pleasure. It's always interesting to find other people who do things that you had no idea that that person does this, and it's fascinating. Yes, absolutely. And with that, Mr. Secord, would you please play me out? Hey, everybody, you should totally come check us out on iTunes. Search for us under Radio Podcast with the A as an ampersand. And you can come check out our website, www.radio-podcast.net. We're going to put up all of the links for the other political parties. They'll all be in the show notes for episode 17, so you can come to one convenient place 
and get all of the links for your own research so you can make an educated vote this November. And if you just want the SoundCloud page, that is soundcloud.com slash radio podcast as one word. And you can come check out our Twitter account, our woefully unactive Twitter account, at underscore radio podcast. You mean you haven't been updating it daily? No. Uh, and I no. mean by that you, that I haven't been checking it either. Well, you know what? The thing that we do more than the Twitter is our Facebook page. Um, I think we're both on Facebook a lot more, and we're old, and don't twit, twit, twat. <laughs> We, we don't twat like everybody else. <laughs> so if you is, is that the past tense of twi- twittering is twattering? Is that right? It's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, vote on a postcard. <laughs> or <laughs> vote via comment on our Facebook page. <laughs> and uh, you can find us at um, Radio, Radio, R, Ampersand, D-I-O, Podcast. Um, and we are there. And we're both on Facebook enough that we will get back to you. Yes, you can always reach us there. Yep. Uh, email addresses are on our uh, radio-podcast.net. You can also get contact information for Mr. Secord, James Secord, who does all of our music. You can find our past uh, Pimp Your Shit guests information on the website as well. Um, everything. Everything. It's all, it's all there. We're all there. We're out there. You can find out all kinds of things. Come and give us an electronic hug. Oh, let us know what you think. And, uh, yeah, we will get back to you. We promise. And now, of course, my dear, the words you love to say. Yes. Mr. Secord, will you please play us out? Mm-hmm.